to Tabuk, a podcast about banned, censored, and controversial children's books. I'm Adriana. And I'm Maria. This week's episode is about a picture book. It is a charming, sweet picture book. It's called The Rabbit's Wedding. It's by an author and illustrator named Garth Williams, and it was published in 1958. And I'm going to read a section of it to you, and I would like you to guess why it was banned in Alabama. (laughs) What's the matter? asked the little white rabbit. I'm just thinking, replied the little black rabbit. What are you always thinking about? asked the little white rabbit. I'm just thinking about my wish, replied the little black rabbit. What is your wish? asked the little white rabbit. I just wish that I could be with you forever and always, replied the little black rabbit. Do you really wish that? asked the little white rabbit. I really do, replied the little black rabbit. Then I will be all yours, said the little white rabbit. Forever and always? asked the little black rabbit. Forever and always, replied the little white rabbit. The little white rabbit gave the little black rabbit her soft white paw. I'm going to say this was banned because of the repetition in it. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It is is kind of a tongue twister to read, actually. They were like, ew, this book is really bad. Let's just ban it. (laughs) No, I'm guessing it was the colors of the rabbits segregation racism wow white and black ding 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 you got it in one wow (laughs) i'm a genius so yeah i i'd like to provide some context Mm -hmm. because this is kind of a wild story actually um so the author and illustrator his name's garth williams he illustrated books like Charlotte's Web and Stuart Little. He's quite a name in sort of classic American children's books. This book came out at a very turbulent time for race relations. So in 1954, the Supreme Court had handed down Brown versus Board of Education, which meant that Racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. Good. Yes. We like that. Yes. Good progress. Yes. Yeah, we do. Um, however, Loving versus Virginia, which legalized interracial marriage on a federal level, wasn't going to be passed for another nine years. So that didn't happen until 1967. Okay. So it was kind of a weird, like, in-between time. A lot of racist white people could see the way the wind was blowing and they weren't happy about it. So at this time, especially in the American South, there were these organizations that were called white citizens councils. Oh, okay. White citizens councils. What does, what, what, what do they do? So they were white supremacist organizations that were committed to ending racial integration in all aspects of public life. So they tried to stop black people from voting, they spread propaganda, they boycotted businesses, they encouraged violence. Oh. The KKK, which we're all (laughs) probably more familiar with, 
those were groups that were, they, they had membership that was secret and a lot more explicitly violent. The citizens' councils pretended to be sort of upstanding members of the community. Mm. And that was, that was basically the difference. But the ideology was the same. Scary. Yeah, and they were very powerful. I can imagine. They would target people. They would publish their names in newspapers owned by people who were members of the councils. And then other people in the councils, policemen, lawyers, doctors, other business people, they would sort of act together to like boycott those individuals. I got the chills in the worst way. Yeah, right? It's like, it's, I mean, it is like literally cancel culture. (laughs) But I'm guessing that one actually worked. Yeah. For example, in 1955 in Mississippi, a council published the names of everyone who signed a petition in favor of school integration. And as a result, they got those people fired and had their credit cut off. Imagine. Oh, my God. So if you were just a regular person in the South, you did not want them to like know that you existed, basically. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. They also produced racist children's books. Oh. Including books that taught that heaven was segregated. Oh. Yeah. So I I went in search of these racist children's books because that just seems so wild. I couldn't find one. Um, They've been banned. Basically, yeah. Um, However, I was able to find some newspapers that were published by the White Citizens Council that talk about their philosophy about children. Oh, okay. They're like, children should be white. Basically, yeah. So (laughs) their, their great worry is that white children will be encouraged to mix with children of other races because they are afraid of what that will lead to. They praise the people who founded the White Citizens Council and they say, no group can survive if it cannot control the raising of its young. Even the beasts of the field fight for this primordial urge. Can men be expected to do less? Okay. What what beasts are they speaking about? I What? Also... I I don't really know a lot about this because it's not as spoken about in Mexico. But, like, as I understood, part of racism was being like, oh, like, black people are not as civilized. They're, like, more like animals, which is, is what I understand that they used to say. And now they're saying, like, oh, we white people are so animalistic we have this urge that animals have as well and we we should we should listen to it and i'm like how are you implying that one animal is better than the other like i don't understand that's a good point because i think that throughout this whole drama uh with the rabbit's wedding there's a, a difficulty sort of differentiating white people from an animal representative, and that's kind of ironic. Uh Uh-huh. So, after the publication of this slightly bland book, (laughs) reviews were largely positive, 
there's not a whole lot to like discuss about this book. It's extremely simple. The only really negative review came from our pal, Bulletin for the Center of Children's Books, which we discussed last time. They said that while the book gives a very simple concept of love and marriage, confusion could arise about marital practices in the human and animal worlds, which is a very like <laughs> sort of cagey way of, I think, describing their discomfort with the black and white rabbits getting married. I, I don't want to say this, but, like, animals do not usually get married, sir. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so this state senator, Eddins, discovered the book in 1959, a year after it was published. He teamed up with the Citizens Council of Montgomery to have it banned throughout the state. He said that this book and many others should be taken off the shelves and burned. You know what? I think he had a lot of difficulty reading himself. Like, he, he just had trouble with it. And so he was like, we should ban books. They're bad for kids. But he was just embarrassed to say he's not good at reading. That does explain a lot. <laughs> The White Citizens Council released a newsletter which sort of tore down this, again, not very interesting children's book. It had the headline, What's Good Enough for Rabbits Should Do for Mere Humans, which I think what? is... I know, like, I think that's a way of saying this book is encouraging the races being mixed. Well, yeah, like, if I read that, I would be like, yeah, what's good enough for rabbits is good enough for humans. So like food, water, house. Yeah, that's good mm -hmm. enough for rabbits. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't see the problem. Yeah. So the book was banned in Alabama libraries. And this is where Emily Huilak Reed comes in. Um, okay. She's director of the Alabama Public Libraries. So one of her jobs was deciding which library books would be made available throughout the state. So she read the book. She said she thought it was fine. She said she didn't believe that it was meant to be controversial, but she said that if it was actually like a parable about racial integration, then it was part of the library's job to provide information about that. So it should still be available in her opinion. So she kept it on reserve so that if the public or librarians throughout the state wanted it, they could request it. So it was a sort of way of dodging the, the book ban, basically. That sounds cool. I like her. Yeah. Also, I like her being like, this man, he is insane. But, like, I will just keep the book here next to me. Like, you you guys can read it anytime you want. He's just going crazy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, Eddins targeted her politically. He, oh. he brought her in front of the state legislature to, like, question her. He demanded her resignation. She became one of the targets of the Citizens Council. Oh, no. Later, she released a suggested reading list, which included one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s books, which obviously <gasps> endeared her even less to the racists. <laughs> Again, she's super cool. Yeah, and she just refused to quit. 
she was an icon. I mean, it just just shows you how powerful these men actually were. Like she was they were just like, she should not be working. And she was like, good for you. And then she just kept on working. Like, (laughs) I love that for her. Yes. It's also really interesting to me that like organizations like the Bulletin for the Center of Children's Books and the ALA, which are around now and which are very against book banning, they were also around back then. They did not give her any support. Like, (laughs) it's so interesting. The ALA actually ended up giving her um, an award posthumously in 2000. And that was... Is that how you say that word? I think so. Oh. I thought it was post humously i don't know i was like i'm i'm very confused interesting i sure hope i said (laughs) but yeah so she it was it was just her Mm. and that makes her awesome queen behavior queen (laughs) were the illustrations nice i remember charlotte's web having nice drawings not so much for Stuart little (laughs) didn't Stuart little like Stuart little is creepy the movie fine i like the movie the movie's okay the illustrations for the book because in the book he is not an actual mouse he is a kid that looks like a mouse and so the illustrations are horrifying horrifying and the implications of that book also why does this child look like a mouse and also I know that sometimes people are described as looking like a certain animal in a book and it just gives you like an idea of that person. But the illustrations for short little, like he actually has like a long face with like a nose at the end and like like um, whiskers and like really big ears. And I'm like, this is not a human that looks like a mouse. Like, this, uh, sorry. Horrifying. So the illustrations for this one are at least not horrifying so the illustrations for this one are like they're really simple the author claimed that he had inspiration from chinese paintings and i think you can kind of see that it's the sort of line work it's it's you know it's quite nice are you googling stuart little yeah he's human yeah no but he looks like a mouse but like knowing that he's not a mouse is like in the movie like what happened he's just like a random mouse yeah Horrifying. Horrifying. So the book became a bestseller largely because people were like publishing opinion pieces, like going back and forth. It was like the 1950s version of a Twitter <laughs> argument. A newspaper in LA mocked the people who were upset by this by suggesting that brown eggs might upset the South mm. next. <laughs> just like all kinds of unhinged opinions about this book were just like flying back and forth. To be fair, I think a lot of book opinions are still very unhinged nowadays. True. So Garth Williams, the author at the center of all of this, (laughs) kind of tried to play both sides a little bit. He said that the black and white rabbits were like that for artistic reasons and to save money on ink. I find that response kind of like a cop-out like it's very interesting because it's like oh who me like I didn't put any thought into my book he came out with this uh, very funny quote that was that he was completely unaware that animals with white furs such as white polar bears and white dogs and white rabbits were considered blood relations of white human beings (laughs) (laughs) 
You tell him, Garth. (laughs) This is reminding me of when I was a child, I used to think that all dogs were male and all Mm. cats were female for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. So he wasn't an activist. Again, none of his other books were banned. I think that the story does not make sense without the racial context because there is nothing in the story that explains why the black rabbit is so convinced that the white rabbit will not settle down with him, uh, why he assumes they can't be together. So there's also a New York Times article where Sharon Patricia Holland, who's a professor at the University of North Carolina, also makes this point. She's like, like the story doesn't make sense without context, actually. So like... (laughs) Pretending that it doesn't have this context is is sort of like ducking the issue a little bit. You you never know. Maybe um, the white rabbit just didn't want to get married, and the the black rabbit was just wearing her down. And yeah, the black rabbit is like, please, and the white rabbit's like, fine. I mean, you never know. <laughs> so. That is the story of The Rabbit's Wedding. It is still in print. You can still buy it today. It's still a charming story. And they got married? They got married. Yay. And the woodland creatures attended their wedding. Ah, cute. The book outlasted the White Citizens Councils and their racist children's books. And I guess in, in that respect, it was a great success winner yes (laughs) thank you for listening tune in next week please do i would like for you to be a woodland creature in my wedding just saying okay thank you what would i be um i think you would be a squirrel i could see that yeah i have that sort of feral energy yeah with like a really fluffy tail